and welcome to Blue Grit Radio. This is Eric back with you. Here's your little disclaimer. I'm not a doctor, not the stethoscope kind, I'm not the mental health kind. I'm literally a police officer sharing from my own experiences and those of people I know, trainings I've received, experiences I've had, in hopes that they're helpful to you and yours. Today I wanted to talk a little bit about post-traumatic stress. We've all heard about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, or post-traumatic stress injury. Some people have liked to lean into the term PTSI to describe it as an injury, uh, to remove the stigma like it's a disorder, like you're broken if you have it or you're affected by it. Um, other people actually use the terms differently so disorder meaning that you're incapacitated, your functionability is largely impacted by your experience, by your trauma, whereas maybe an injury is something a bit different uh, to a different degree. But I want to talk a little bit more about just plain post-traumatic stress. Post-traumatic stress, if we dissect it, we're just talking about the stress that occurs after a traumatic situation, right? First responders certainly encounter a large multitude of traumas. Some of them are primary, like they experience it themselves, whether it's danger, whether it's a fire, whether it's violence toward them, a collision, with significant injuries where they had to rehab. Traumas can also be emotional, mental, absolutely. So that could be crimes that occurred to you, either as an adult or a child. So I don't need to dive into all the types of traumas, but all to say, even from that last description, we quickly realize we must realize that we're not just talking about first responders. We're all humans interacting and playing at this thing called life. And certainly no one is shielded from trauma. No one has been able to navigate a life devoid of it. Everyone experiences life. And so that means everyone experiences hardship everyone experiences trauma. And I definitely don't support or want to go into the conversation of comparing traumas because all that really matters is your experience. You know your life and only you know how you've reacted to things in your life. When recognizing trauma, I think it's critical that we remember a couple things. We have to remember that we can overcome. We have to be positive. We have to have the opportunity to grow and to challenge ourselves. We don't have to accept poor circumstance. We don't have to accept a poor disposition. But we also have to remember that we need to give ourselves grace and we need to give grace to others. I believe there's a high correlation with people that are in this type of industry, 
So that could be first responders, emergency responders. That could also be entrepreneurs. That could be corporate warriors. That could be caretakers. That could be teachers, people that are highly empathetic. They put their heart out there and they put the throttle full on. They're just driving hard, right? You have those high performers in whatever realm and there's a capacity and a desire to get things done and to crush their goals. But what happens is when you have people of that temperament and of that personality is that they don't oftentimes give themselves the opportunity to slow down and they don't afford themselves the opportunity to release or take a step back because those things can feel like defeat. Those things can feel like stalled progress and they can feel like giving up. So when I talk about navigating post-traumatic stress, yes, we need to be positive and recognize that we can make incremental change and improvement, but we're looking for baby steps and the gradual steps have to be considered a huge win and two steps forward, one step back, but a half step shuffle forward again, that has to be considered a huge win. Years ago when I was operating as a canine handler, I was involved in an officer-involved shooting. And many people may think that that was the most stressful moment of my life. In some ways it was, in some ways it wasn't. But the reason why I bring it up isn't so much to go in the story, and you could certainly tell the story in another episode. Um, I talked about it with Ken Royball on the Police Applicant Podcast pretty recently. But I bring it up because I want to talk about triggers. Right? So just to give a Cliff Notes version of some of the circumstances is, as I already mentioned, I was operating as a canine handler looking for a wanted felon. And there was a gun involved that the suspect had. So when I was looking for my triggers after the fact, and I should, I should add, I felt pretty good after the whole scenario. Um, I felt really positive, I actually felt high on life, which is a really common reaction or response to a near death experience. Um, some people can cite the roller coaster and some people get really low, but, um, fortunately for me, I believe I got super high on life. I was, over the moon, everything, everything was just sunshine and rainbows because, you know, I watched everything kind of flash before my eyes. Um, no pun intended, but here we are. But I actually, I think it's part of my, my nature, but in whatever kind of weird way, as quick as I can remember, I just wanted to seek out the potential triggers just to know my limits or which limits I didn't have to worry about. Right, so no one suggested that I should go back to the scene where it all happened anytime soon, but on my own, I decided I wanted to go out there. So I took my own vehicle out um, on a day off and I went back to where it all went down and where, you know, I thought I was a goner. I thought my dog was a goner. 
thought my buddies were goners and kind of kicked some gravel around. Things definitely looked different than I remembered. Um, but there had been a, a large fire um, that occurred when a propane tank got hit and ignited in my shooting. So not only did I want to return to the scene, but I wanted to set up a time with range staff to get back in the range and listen to the gunfire and then pull the trigger. And these were all little steps that I kind of checked off my mental list saying, okay, that's not it. Okay, no, no uh, freak out moment there, no trigger. Man, I'm all about the puns. I think it's that, that dad life. I'll, I think I just gravitate towards dad jokes. Uh, you ever feel like the you from 10 years ago would want to smack the you from today? But I digress. So looking for those little things that would set me off. Um, I remember being at home and because a propane tank had been ignited, I told my now wife, hey, I'm going to kick up the grill. Um, can you just be aware in case I start screaming or curl up into a ball? And so I was trying to make light of it, but at the same time, I was trying to be aware that this stuff could happen and it's not to make light of people that do have flashbacks or any kind of response like that, but I just really wanted to know where I was at. And I remember clearly after working down my list of all these different things, the propane tank, going back to the scene, uh, when I returned to duty so many weeks later, um, I went back at work and that just made sure that wasn't a thing. The uniform, the range, the gunfire, uh, introducing my dog back to those things like shooting off blanks and training. All those things that you should do responsibly to acclimate and to assess. But I didn't see anything so I was kind of resigned to be like I guess I'm good to go. Let's fast forward uh, about a decade or so. But this morning, so my canine, Cato, he has since passed. I know it's sad, but he was in retirement, freak medical thing. He had a good life. Certainly, i very grateful for the life we had together and the service we had together. Um, but I only mention that because I know all you dog lovers are going to be really sad. So I, I do think it's worth taking a moment to say, hey, it was a good run. But with my current dog, uh, little Lenny, we haven't had him super long, but he uh, kicked up a, a barking fit in the early wee morning hours. And when I used to wake up in the middle of the night, I'd be out quickly again without much more than a couple seconds. Um, you're tired, you're tired. Close your eyes, you go back to bed. And it's only really been in the last few years that I've been able to chew on this and really dissect it, but I was always more of a heavy sleeper as a kid. I could fall asleep in front of the TV and sleep on the floor all night. Um, I never had a problem sleeping in planes and cars and all that as a young adult. And even into adulthood, I remember being able to sleep better than most people. However, 
I recognize that in recent years, even when Cato was around, if there's a dog bark in the middle of the night, that is a done deal. You're not going back to bed. So no different now. This morning, Lenny barks and who knows what it was? Who knows if it was just a raccoon or some wind or what? But after laying there for some time, trying to focus on breathing, just relaxing, at this point I just know that it's time to wake up. And so on the topic of post-traumatic stress, I have realized that it's not always the things that you think would be the classical triggers or obvious signs or obvious things that would set you off, but it's a lot of times the more innocuous things. It's the really subtle things. So for years, even in retirement, when Cato's bark happened, it was, there's danger. And we know what happens when your body senses or perceives danger. You're in fight, flight, or freeze. And none of those things mean go back to bed. So the stressor appears, the cortisol shoots through your body, and it's time to get down. It's time to make a plan. It's time to be ready to act. So that's absolutely contrary to relaxing and getting back to bed. I share this because although I went through that and although maybe as a listener you're like, well, obviously they're going to be some sort of a relation there or some sort of association, it wasn't obvious to me. So for those of you police officers, whether you're new or highly experienced, give yourself credit, cut yourself some slack. And give yourself grace because whether or not you've been in a shooting you've been in a shooting whether or not you've actually pulled the trigger on duty you've pulled it dozens of times in your mind in your dreams just spitballing or daydreaming you're worried about the worst case scenario you're working the contingencies all the time, whether you're in uniform or out of uniform. And that takes a toll and that creates a conditioning pattern. You have to be skilled and you have to be trained. Our job has really, really high implications if you're not, if you're not ready. We've all seen situations where it appears that the officers were ready and they were trained and they still weren't able to come out on top. They still weren't able to save the hostage. This is real stuff. And people that join this job, the majority of them, the large majority of them really care and they really want to make a difference. And so they put that pressure on themselves. So if you feel yourself or you feel your family member, your husband or wife who's a police officer or a firefighter, and it seems like they're just running ragged 
and it might not be a significant event that happened to them in the past week or even in the past year or even anything that you think would be Hollywood worthy highlight reel in their career if they take their training and their job seriously they've played that scenario through so many times of being shot of being shot at of being ambushed so when you do that traffic stop and they don't pull over right away and your sirens on for a minute or two and they're just not pulling over and then they're finally pulling into a dark alley and there's people popping their heads out the window it's not unreasonable to be super on edge and waiting for the gun it's actually your training that's that's the type of thinking and planning that'll keep you alive if it should happen but we experience that stress whether it's from our own experience whether that's from the videos we watch from the incidents we read about these things that we know happen that creates a level of post-traumatic stress as well if I were to summarize some things and my hope and what a listener got out of this it's the following one be aware of your situation and every situation is unique two you can grow stay positive stay patient and be willing and open to changing things tweaking things working on yourself three I said it but check your ego give yourself grace you are human that's why you feel so much pressure we can't be robots we can't be stone-cold literal statues you're good at your job you're good at your life because of your heart and because you care so I'll follow that up with ask for and or receive help a lot of times it's literally pure support that's not you got it next to your name on a fancy list that's literally just looking out for your buddies and or letting them look out for you that's just having a conversation with your friends and colleagues that's just talking to your family we can't go it alone this is a super abnormal job to have so it's only fair that you recognize the likelihood and the inevitability that you will have super abnormal responses to that job and what you experience so don't be your own worst critic be your own best ally and with that i thank you for listening I truly hope that you found something, a part of this discussion, helpful, or there's someone that you know that might find this helpful. Be very helpful to me and to spread the word. If you can like, share, comment, rate this podcast and or Blue Grit on Instagram, Blue Grit Wellness. Again, thank you very much for having me be a part of your day. I look forward to more conversations.